Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 868 with Ronnie Evans. I, I used to think that restaurants, if you had great food, it didn't matter about ambiance or service. That like if the food was great, people were going to come. But I think it's it's everything. You get you got everything's got to be dialed in. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by DiageoBarAcademy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all levels. And in February of 2022, Diageo Bar Academy celebrates 10 years, 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. And during this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy to access resources to help you learn new skills and stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or your business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O. G-E-O baracademy.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that talk to the manager provides. Also, with talk to the manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with talk to the manager head to talk to the manager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60 day trial 
What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support. And I'm trying to remind you guys of specific ways you can support the show. One of those ways is by using my affiliates. Those are companies that just pay me a commission to spread the word about their services. And if you're opening a restaurant or you own a restaurant, you need a website. I'm going to tell you to get a website regardless of whether these people are paying me a commission or not. I highly recommend Bento Box. So many of my past guests have used them. And if I'm opening a restaurant tomorrow, I'm using Bento Box for my restaurant website solution. Uh, head over to the show notes. This is episode 868. I'll have a link front and center. If you use that link, the Bento Box link, uh, then you will be supporting the show. It goes such a long way. All right. So today we're talking to Ronnie Evans. Uh, this is kind of like part two of our Blue Oak interview. Uh, we had Phil on last week. This week we're talking to Ronnie. And this is something that I go back and forth on when I feature a restaurant on the show and there's two founders. Do I interview them at the same time? Do I split it up and go deep dives into each of these individuals stories. I like the latter personally. I like to be one-on-one. I like to focus on the person I say behind every great restaurant's a great person. And if I can do one-on-one with an individual, I feel like we can get so much more out. So I hope you guys enjoy the fact that I'm really taking the time to focus on Phil's story and Ronnie's story. And what, what, uh, what happens when we do this is we get to focus on the individual strengths of the partnership. So, uh, that's what's basically going on here. We listened to Ronnie last week and today we're kind of getting, sorry, we listened to Phil last week and this week we're listening to Ronnie and uh, we're going to get his take on how they built blue Oak and a little more about Ronnie. He's a graduate of the university of Alabama where he focused on business from there. He thought he'd get involved with barbecue. So he joined a, a franchise Moe's barbecue. Uh, he was able to convince Phil to come up to Vail, Colorado to learn the business of barbecue. I love this approach in business. Go work for a franchise to learn systems and processes and how to run a tight business. They thought they were going to come back to Louisiana and open their own Moe's, but they decided not to. Uh, they were undercapitalized basically. So they started from scratch and they, and this is around the time 2012, they started Blue Oak. You already heard the story last week with Phil. Uh, and today we're, we're going deep with Ronnie's side of the story. It's a great interview. I know you're going to love it. And I just can't say thank you enough to both Phil and Ronnie uh, for for being just so hospitable to me and Savannah and Sam while we're in town uh, and just being so generous with their network and everything. And uh, I really hope Ronnie and Phil that this is the beginning of a long lasting relationship where we can share your evolution as you guys march into the future. Cause I know you're going to do great things. Uh, you already have. So here it is. No further ado. Ronnie Evans. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-owner of Blue Oak, Ronnie Evans. Ronnie, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Oh, feel amazing. Very yes. unstoppable. Happy to be here. Dude, I'm excited for this conversation because we literally just wrapped the interview uh, on the heels of your business partner, mm-hmm. Phil. And it's not every day that I get to do back-to-back interview uh, interviews with partners. I literally have all the notes I just took from him. And now we're going to go after you, you and your version of the story. So we'll see... Uh, what parts of the story we can fill in, uh, if, it, if it lines up exactly. I know this is going to be good, though. But before we dive into it, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? So I think um, when I think about a mantra that I think about every day, I would say 
uh, something my dad used to tell me every time when I got off, uh, when he dropped me off at school, he'd say, work hard and have fun. Work hard and have fun. Why is that the one you chose to go with? What, what, why does that resonate? Uh, I just think you can apply that to anything. You know, if, uh, if we're coming to work and we're miserable and not having fun, and what are we doing? We should try to create an environment that's fun and, and work hard doing it. Yeah. Lately, I feel this need to echo my core values whenever I hear them come up in conversation. You just hit uh, core values six and seven. Six being we show up. In my mind, that means work hard. And the last one's have fun. Because what's the point? What's the point? If you're not enjoying this ride around the, the earth, you know what I'm saying? Couldn't agree more. On this, this rock hurling through the space. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Um, I would say college would be where we should start. Okay. Um, so I went to the University of Alabama mm-hmm. from between 2006 and 2010. Roll Tide. Got it. Phil would say, uh, go Tigers. Um, <laughs> but went there, um, enjoyed my time there. So real quick, I was in this English class, kind of close to that English class, freshman year. Saw this guy we became friends with, um, enjoyed the class, hadn't seen him in a couple years after that. And we're in a class senior year of at Alabama, and I hadn't seen him. And I just saw him like walking by. I was like, hey, man, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, and he was like, oh, we're, I'm actually about to open this barbecue restaurant. Uh, it's called Moe's Original Barbecue um, in Tuscaloosa. And I was like, oh, great. It's like, well, if you need any help, man, I'd, I'd be happy to lend a hand. And he gave me somebody's number. I called somebody, I put in an application, and I got hired. And that was like my first restaurant experience. This was, isn't the OG Moe's, is it? Or is it a franchise that's open? So this, so the original Moe's was started in Tuscaloosa. Then it like kind of closed. And then they moved to Vail, Colorado. So the home base is in Vail, Colorado. So this was considered a franchise. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. This would be in 2009, okay. 2010. So, I mean, when did you know that this, this path, like that food was going to be your path? Because talking to Phil, it sounds like you guys were dreaming about restaurants from an early time. Yeah, we had always talked about it like it was, you know, we'd, we were like, oh, we should open a bar or a restaurant one day and kind of, you know, pipe dream. We'd been friends since we were little. I guess we could go back that far because Phil and I met in fifth grade. Yeah. So I guess we should have gone back that far. But, um, we, you know, we'd always talked about it. It was always just like this, this kind of crazy idea. Um, so back to like the Moe's thing. I worked there and it was just kind of a job um, just to kind of make ends meet. And I, was doing, I started doing dishes. <laughs> then I would like scoop sides and yada, yada. And um, started really like it. And I was graduating Alabama. Didn't have anything planned. And... Some of the guys there were like, you should move to Vail and go ski and, and work at the barbecue restaurant there. They've got a, a barbecue restaurant in Lion's Head uh, in Vail, Colorado, which is like right at the base of the mountain. Got it. And um, so I was like, sounds good. Let's go. Uh, so I hopped in a car, packed my bags, never been there, and just kind of moved up there and, and started hitting it. You went to school for business. Is it worth talking about that? Did you learn anything? Is, is like, did you know from day one that you wanted to open your own business? This is all part of the plan. Um, yes and no. I mean, I, my dad was an entrepreneur. My, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. So I, you know, I feel like it's kind of, maybe it's ingrained a little bit. What kind but, of business were they in? Uh, my grandfather started a, um, 55 gallon drum manufacturing business. Okay. Uh, it used to be called like a cooperage. You know, they used to make like wooden barrels, okay. uh, to store whatever. Got it. And then they moved to like steel and then it kind of ran its course and closed, uh, late nineties. Okay. 
And then my dad started a business after that. He was in like the plastics business, um, and he's been doing that ever since. So manufacturing, basically. Yeah, a lot of manufacturing, like not the pretty stuff. Well, restaurant industry is arguably manufacturing. You just see like every element of the, right. the line. It's right? the like sexier form of manufacturing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're still doing the family business, right? Sure. Uh, okay, so when you graduate, when you're going through school, are you saying to yourself, restaurants, 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 this, this, this dream you had with Phil, is that what's in the back of your mind or are you just still kind of open to whatever the world throws at you? I mean, I, at that point I had no idea what I was doing. I, you know, I'd actually looked at moving to Australia for a stint cause my dad had a friend there and yeah. he was like, could set me up with a job. And I was like, I just want to like go do something that's not like a desk job or yeah. figuring things out. And I yeah. thought maybe I'd go in the family business. Um, did, I had no idea, you know, like me go, starting to work at this restaurant. I did not think that it would lead to me talking to you right now. So working at Moe's wasn't the first restaurant experience you have, is it? Uh, in the back of house. Yes. Okay. Before that I was, I worked at, um, a family members restaurant as like a waiter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at that time in this evolution of you as a restaurant professional, were you thinking like, this is it. Like, I love this. I want more of this. I really enjoyed it. Cause a part of like growing up in new Orleans, like food is so ingrained in everything that we do here. It's kind of like you like live to eat. You don't eat to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been very passionate about food, but I didn't think that I would be the one delivering it or serving it. Got it. So you, thanks for filling in all that, those details. So you, you go through, uh, the university of Alabama. Um, you have this opportunity to join forces with somebody who's opening a, a Moe's barbecue. Why barbecue? What's going on with barbecue? Um, I don't know. I, I, I knew nothing about it when I started working there. Like I said, I was like doing dishes for the first month or so and then like scooping sides. Like I, I didn't really know how to boil pasta at that point. Like I, my cooking skills were nothing. Um, and then I just kind of really liked the culture. I liked the people that were there. Um, it just kind of started to feel right. And then once I started cooking more, when I moved to Colorado and then Phil joined me later, you know, it was, I really started to dig it and like kind of see the, the nuts and bolts and how it works. What about it really resonated with you? I mean, like I said, it was, it was just the people there, uh, the vibe. It was just fun. You're on your feet. You're working hard. You're almost like, it's almost like you're exercising while you're working. Cause you're like moving around and Getting picking up steps in. Yeah. Picking up like cases <laughs> of pork butts or ribs and going up and down stairs. And it's just like very lively and yeah. like it makes the day go quick. It does. It really does. Yeah. What about, what is it about the people that, that appeal to you? I mean, I've found everyone to be very warm, um, and like welcoming mm. and fun. Like people in the restaurant business, I feel like they just, they want you to have fun. The people that walk through the door, you want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't want to be like the stuffy kind of thing. It's like you're there to celebrate. Yeah. I don't know why I'm confused right now. I know that you were in Alabama. Did you work? Did you opened, they, they moved to Vail, Colorado, the, the franchise, but you, you and Phil and they were never in Vail, Colorado, right? No, we, we you did. Were in Vail, but you we started, did. but you started in Alabama. Yeah. I started working okay, as what, like a, was. as a quick job in Tuscaloosa. And okay. then they told, they were like, Hey, why don't you move up to Vail to the headquarters? So how long were you in Tuscaloosa before making the trip up to headquarters? Uh, my stint in college. Okay. Yeah. So, so when, did, when did you start working? Was it your fir- freshman year all throughout college? Senior year of college. Okay. Yeah. I may have screwed that up somewhere along the line. No, there's just a lot of details. Now yeah. I have two storylines too, so it's hard to figure out right. where everybody comes yeah, in. Yeah, because at this point, Phil was like yeah. over here and then I'm over here on <laughs> exactly. the left, like yeah. pull her out. We're just kind of like 
slowly converging. So somebody much, must have saw something. You must have had a talent. You must have been. Did you get a lot of feedback as like, oh, you're good at this. You're doing a good job. Like, do you want opportunity? Like, when did you get out of like the the more grunt work stuff and start maybe getting behind the pit? So when I was in in Tuscaloosa, the Mo's there, it was. Um I was a grunt. Like I was, I wasn't much thought and I was just kind of doing what somebody else told me to. When I got up to Colorado, uh, you know, after a few months, I kind of really get an understanding of things and like maybe got some reps, like putting meats on the pit and pulling them off and, and things like that. And then after, you know, six months or so, maybe a year, I was in like more of like a leadership role where I would kind of like run a shift, um, and kind of just make things, make sure things went, the right way and smoothly so like agm kind of or like no uh, just like a, like i would just say like a, you know if a point person in the kitchen not necessarily like a gm or an agm but like you know if, if the if the chef is not in like i'd probably be a point person in the kitchen got it right at, at what point did you did you ever think maybe i could have more here like maybe there's an opportunity yeah so so um we wanted to franchise uh, Moe's, which is a big franchise. I think they got like 60 or 70. When did that come into your mind that maybe I might be able to franchise Moe's? A little while, like probably six months after we made the move that I moved to Vail. And then I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, Phil was working in the coffee business down here. There was a coffee importer uh, right here on the river. And uh, I remember where I was. I was like at this, we were catering a wedding in the summertime. And, um, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. I think I want to do this. So I called Phil. I was like, we talked a little bit about it, but I think this is like the moment where he was like, all right, let's do it. Okay. So I just like called him and I was like, hey, this is really cool. Like we could do something. We could go franchise, whatever. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And then he moved up to Vail and um, we shared a bedroom for like about a year. So it's continuation of college experience. Yeah, right. Because we hadn't been together in college. Like he went to LSU. I went to Alabama. Yeah. Um, so we kind of reunited since like, it was like the first time we had been together that much since middle school. Got it. So when you're, when, when Phil comes up, does the, 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 I guess the, the work ethic changes, do you start taking it more seriously? Cause now you're thinking maybe we could have one of these of our, of our own. What was that, 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 how did that change when Phil came up there? Um, well, I, I, I didn't think it changed that much. It just became more of a reality. Um, the idea of like actually having our own barbecue restaurant and this is the path we were going on. Um, so it just, it just kind of made more, made it more real knowing that he had moved and like he had this job that he quit and then he hopped in his car and drove up. Like it, it just kind of became like, Oh wow, this is like a real thing. We're doing it. Would you say there was a key mentor at most somebody specifically that might've saw something in the two of you? I know you didn't eventually, you never, you decided to get away from most and not open a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but was there somebody that like that taught you guys a lot? Um, I mean, there were so many great people there. They were all kind of preparing there. Most people that were there were kind of planning to open another restaurant. So there, there were a lot of like great people there. Uh, but I would say like the mentors were, um, like the, the three owners that they had there, Jeff, Ben, and Mike, and then, you know, a couple of the other leaders there, like uh, Rusty, our buddy Rusty White, and some other fellas. Um, so, and they're all doing well, and super appreciative of them helping us out. But, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of like everyone there was kind of a leader. Yeah. Um, what happens? How did that shift? Because this, at this point, you're not really taking it too seriously, but what happens when you're surrounded with other people 
who are motivated and looking to grow? Would they? Was there a reason why you're going to Vales? Were they were they grooming people? Is yeah, that that's kind of like the group. It's like the yeah, they're kind of farming up these people to kind of get them ready to do their own thing. What lessons did you learn during this time that you think were the most impactful as far as restaurant operations? Well, I, I think I think it just like having everyone wanting to open up the restaurant and the mindset, like everyone was kind of professional and it just created this environment where like everyone's like at the top of their game and you're trying to better. It's like a competition. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone's trying to be better than the other guy because everyone's like operating at a high level. So you're always trying to like outdo the next person and set up the person behind you. And, uh, yeah, just like everyone's trying to, outdo each other almost not not in like an aggressive way like in a fun kind of way yeah it's 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 just holding each other accountable it's right a, it's a so we would you friendly competition yeah the the biggest the big thing there was like setting up the guy behind you or guy or gal whoever and what does that uh, mean get into that like setting up the person behind you it's like making sure that when the person that is behind you coming in they're set up for success like everything that you need to get done to make sure that they have a great shift you have done mm. and you're, you're making the transition as easy as possible i love that um. So these these people uh, was it Jeff Ben Mike Rusty were they above you were they mentors or were these colleagues? Uh, they were they were they were the owners of the okay. franchise, and okay. then Rusty was like kind of like a director of operations kind of guy. Looking at these these individuals, did any one of them really inspire you? Did you really admire any one of these these people specifically? Who? Um, I would say Rusty was probably like my closest friend there. And then, um, Mike was more of the culinary guy of the three partners. And I probably like resonated most with him. So rusty or Mike, right? Yeah. Rusty and Mike, rusty and Mike. So why rusty rusty was like, I felt like he was just kind of a older version of me. Kind of, we had a lot of similar interests and he was a great guy and we're still like really good friends. We don't get to see each other that much, but you know, we're, got kids and family and all that jazz and um don't see him as much but he was just like a great guy a positive person what did he teach you what did he teach me um more just about how to be like you admired the way he conducted himself yeah i I think we just got along really well and he was older and he you know he kind of mentor i can't really think of anything specific but he was just a great guy okay what about mike did mike because this is like really really where you're starting to sharpen the saw and learn and cut your teeth right. on how to barbecue well. Uh, what did he teach you? He uh, he taught me how to cook. He he really taught me how to cook because I didn't really know that much. Like, yeah. it's where this isn't. So I, it's most people are like, why don't you talk about food on the podcast? Because the answer to that question is because you're opening a fucking restaurant. I, I hope you know how to cook. Yeah, right. But what did he teach you about operations and kitchen operations? Uh, I mean, it was like, I think attention to detail. Yeah, like being paying close attention to detail like when you're cutting something cut it the same way every time so you know that it's the same like eliminating variables um are there things you can do to make sure it's being cut the same way or like what what would you do i think it's all about just training and teaching and being heavy-handed because you know he's at this point they had 20 or 30 restaurants and he was still very handy heavy-handed like running a shift with the crew to make sure everybody was like staying kind of dialed why is it important to be heavy-handed I think it's a, a few things like one is um, you kind of want to lead by example. Um, and then two, just let people know that like, you know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, Phil and I don't, aren't really much in the kitchen anymore, but we, you know, we try to get in there every once in a while, just to let them know, like, you know, we can, we kind of created all this stuff ourselves. We can 
we can kind of hang. Um, which, you know, we're a little rusty, but we still try to get in there every once in a while. So at what point, I mean, up to this point, you and Phil are thinking to yourself, we're going to own Moe's barbecue joints across America and be millionaires. That's the plan. Probably so. Yeah. So what, what changed? Um, so we, we were actually going to do a franchise in Baton Rouge and there was some financial issues that we came across. We didn't have like a ton of money. So we decided to just figure things out on our own and we just, you know, moved back home and went and bought a barbecue pit and decided to start our own thing. That was pretty much it. So you would have, so basically the issue was you didn't have the operating capital to invest in the first location because that's a big part of franchising. You need to have the cash behind you. Right. The buy-in. What was that number? Do you remember how much you needed? I don't. Um, you know, I know that the franchise fees are so, like t- a couple tens of thousands. I'm not sure. And then there's a percentage of some sort. And then, you know, obviously the build out costs, which could be pretty big. Yeah. It was, so was that kind of deflating? Did you, were, were your sales kind of, you know, did, they, did that take the wind out of your sales? Uh, it was definitely disheartening when it happened, but I feel like, you know, obviously it was kind of a blessing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first couple months it was, upsetting we didn't really know what we we're doing and then we decided to kind of go in like invest in ourselves and and figure it out okay. and it kind of you know the growing pains of starting your own thing so when did you guys come back to new orleans what was what was the dialogue what was going on we came back to new orleans um summer i guess like late spring summer of 2012 okay um when you're back i mean after work because this is the first time you ever worked with phil right Mm-hmm. Was there clear lanes starting to be developed? Not yet. We had no idea what we were doing. Were you doing the same exact work when you were in uh, Vail? Um, yeah, I mean, we were like essentially like you know line cooks okay. working the pits, like that stuff, which we are both comfortable with. I was, I did more like would make sides and like other specialty items in the morning, um, and then you know he might work the pit or figure do some other stuff. But um, you know, I was kind of like more like the side guy. Because you'd make fresh sides every day, all that. So when you when you decided that this opportunity in Baton Rouge wasn't going to work because you're under undercapitalized, um, what was the dialogue? What was what was what was happening between the two of you? Well, yeah, that specific location had fell through, so we were thinking like, oh, maybe we can just like keep looking, or maybe we do New Orleans. And at some point, we're you know, I was kind of drug my feet a little bit on on starting around thing but then you know we kind of talked about it and talked through it a bunch and we was like let's just roll the dice and try it out so did you have a strategy because one of the things we identified talking to phil was that you guys had a vision ver- like from an early time and goals that kind of help you kind of stay on this path what do you remember what your goals were or when did those goals start to really kind of firm up um i mean I think ultimately when we decided to not do the most thing, we, we just wanted, our goal was to open a restaurant mm-hmm. and to like a brick and mortar, like a place where we could open the door and walk in. How long do you, do you remember thinking to yourself how long it would take to actually make it? I, I mean, I, would, I thought it would take forever. I mean, I don't, oh. I would think, I mean, I try to put my head in that, that like 2012, 24 year old body. Maybe, maybe that's me thinking about it now. Maybe I'll think in there like, Oh, maybe a year or six months and we'll <laughs> yeah. figure it out. Um, but I didn't realize, you know, how long it would take cause it basically took six and a half years. Yeah. Um, until we actually found maybe five, five and a half or so where we actually 
got our own spot. So you come back from, did you ever end up being in Baton Rouge or did you just kind of skip over that? Uh, we never, we never spent, Phil like spent time in Baton Rouge in, in college, but we never went up there and like spent time. We just went back home and cause we had to live with our parents because we didn't have any money. So you were living with your parents to mm-hmm. paint the picture of your lifestyle. Like what, what, what did you have to your name? Like, so is this before Blue Oak started or, or before? Yeah. Like when you come back with your tail between your legs, cause you're not open. So, you know, like when we worked at, at Mosinvale, we, we, it was a pretty comfortable place. Like the, you know, the hourly pay was pretty good. Everybody was on tips. Um, so we, we were able to like live there, enjoy ourselves and save money. So we didn't save like a ton of money. Like I think at that time, maybe I had like, five or six thousand dollars in the bank maybe ten I, I don't think it was that much it may have been five or six thousand mm-hmm. which i thought at the time was like holy High crap roller. look at all this yeah, yeah. Like, this is unbelievable <laughs> uh so yeah i mean it was it was um we were young and just figuring stuff out um yeah and they're probably not prepared mentally for what it was going to be to open our own spot so what was your strategy what was your plan did you have a plan well, so um, what we did was we went to Alabama. We found this barbecue pit in Alabama. We, we actually had a third partner for a, a very short stint, a guy named uh, Jean-Marc Bonin, who's now an attorney. And we all decided um, to buy a barbecue pit and start a barbecue, whatever it was. We didn't have a name or anything. So we spent about $4,000 on this barbecue pit, went and picked it up, brought it back. And then we kind of just started doing like friends' backyards, cooking stuff how many backyard barbecues would you say you did before probably like a handful not a ton yeah um our biggest gig was this is when we found out that our third partner would leave which is probably there's a third partner yeah there was, was the, the, the lawyer yeah that's john mark bone and the, oh, I didn't uh, know the that lawyer he was a partner i thought you guys just bought the pit from him no no he was he was so there was three guys there was me phil and john mark we call him Bonin. and uh and he was like he wanted to do a come on the ride with us but uh he decided that he wanted to go to law school and was like this is not for me which is a, and a, it's a better figure it out yeah because it's an incredible blessing because if ha- if he had been around during the grits days the early days of blue oak we would not be here today i don't think why because there, there was just no money to go around yeah, like three ways would be yeah i mean it was you know phil and i were paying ourselves like two dollars and fifty cents an hour yeah working 70 80 hours a week and if you add another person to that i mean there's just nothing couldn't do it so in your mind in, in 2012 were you even calling it a pop-up uh i mean it was like a residency i guess you at the time you probably just call it a pop-up but it was like a permanent pop-up like we were blue oak at grits which is the bar that we found a home in so this is where it's gonna be hard for me to, to pretend like i don't know anything because i like i got the story so uh talking to phil he said he did one backyard barbecue yeah, um, I think, yeah, so it was at, at our buddy Kyle's house. Okay. Or there was a couple guys there, yeah. And, and what was what was that like? What, what did you learn from that experience? What was, put yourself back in that experience? We charged like, I don't know what it was, 15, 20 bucks a head. It may not have been that much. Maybe like 10 or 15. And then we just cooked and did like a couple sides. We cooked like ribs and pork butts. And, you know, I mean, we didn't make any money. We may have broken. I don't think we broke even. Maybe, I don't know. It was nothing. I mean, there's a part of me that also like sell. I really think this is the way to go because early on, I think what you should be doing is just be having fun, do what you love. If this is truly what you want to do for the rest of your life, you should you should love doing it, right? And for 
early on you're just you're just kind of figuring it out you're just getting in there and you're just you're just putting food in the mouths and, and getting feedback and trying to figure it out is that what it felt like or were you guys like no we're legitimate right now no i mean we probably felt like we were legitimate <laughs> like kind of puff your chest a little bit but yeah. you know if you if anyone outside looking in be like these guys don't know what they're doing were you were you out to make a profit on that first that first back uh, i think we we're just i think we were just testing yeah. kind of just like we bought this barbecue pit. We wanted to feed people, get some like feedback, kind of figure it out. Um, and after that, our first like real gig was we popped up at this. Um, I think it was a five year anniversary of this bar in Mid City called um, Mid City Yacht Club. Yep. So that, that was like our up. first like paid gig, and I think we made like six or seven hundred bucks. And Phil and I are like our eyes are like wide open, like. Whoa! <laughs> like this is some money. This is awesome. Like, what do we do? Should we go like out and spend it all? Let's do that. <laughs> uh, so that was like the first paid gig, and then after that, we reached out to this bar, Grits, which I've been talking about. Yeah. And um, they had an open kitchen. It was like brand new, nice kitchen. And we reached out to them and talked to the owner for probably about two or three hours, and he told us why we should not get into the restaurant business. We like met at a coffee shop or drinking coffee, and he's like, "This is why you should not do this." And he like broke it down by like numbers. He's like, "If you run efficiently, like you're maybe looking at ten percent profit." Do you think that's the case today? Do you do you agree with that today? To not get in the restaurant business? Sorry, I was like half hiccuping. No, you're good. Do you, um do you agree with that idea that ten percent is if you're lucky what you'll get? Um, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it depends on what kind of food you're serving. I think if yeah. you get into like fine dining. It gets much tighter, mm-hmm. but if you you know barbecue, um, there's not a lot of waste, so like those margins aren't as as small. I think there's ways to do it. You know, you can get tighter with things. Like you don't have to have like a marketing budget. Um, you can kind of eliminate some of these like budgets that you think you might take in that you don't that can make it much bigger than that. I do think this gentleman, what was his name, the, the owner of Grits, uh, Chris Hernandez. Chris Hernandez. I do think he was doing you a favor, though. I do. I think the first thing. If you're listening to this and you're opening a restaurant or you've been in business and somebody approaches you and they say, I want to open a restaurant too, number one, talk them out of it. That's the best thing you can do for anybody. Like, and that's really what I try to do sometimes with this show. I'm really trying to, I, I'm trying to give people firsthand how hard it is. Do you really want to do this? Do you really want to live with your parents for four years and make $2.15 <laughs> an hour? Like I have, I have stories of literally people sleeping on the, the floor of the bathroom of their restaurant to get by you know like that's gnarly yeah are you willing we were lucky right? i mean we none of what we did was by design we just it was like dumb luck and it all just kind of worked out yeah and it was and we were lucky that we started so small and then like slowly how, you know like how were you able to make it work like how were you able to only make two dollars and 15 cents an hour like what how but, i mean we were, we were you know we were living at home we didn't really go out much because we were just there all the time mm-hmm. like we didn't have a social life like our 20s we didn't do anything. Mm. We were just doing blue oak. Like that yeah. was it. Um, you regret? No, not at all. I mean, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, if I could like relive a year when I was 27, maybe if I had a little bit more money, that'd be more fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I was broke the whole time. So, um, yeah, but I, I have no doubt of like no regrets or anything like yeah. that. So these first couple of pop-ups you did before you really started getting into grits, uh, the backyard pop-ups and the late night, uh, Yacht Club. Did you learn anything the hard way during these times that were kind of like things that like specifically with pop ups? Because I love this approach with pop ups. And like I said, I, 
the, this idea of just treating it like fun, friends and family at first, backyards, just just trying to figure it out and get the word out there and spread awareness, right? Um, did you learn any tricks of the trade? Do you have advice for people doing pop ups? Um, I mean, we it was like so you know. It was so like chill and there was no structure to it. It was like, all right, show up. We're, people are going to be here at three o'clock and we get there in the morning and we just set up like a tent and a table and a barbecue pits behind us and like we serve. But at the same time, just start, right? If what is the analysis paralysis by analysis? If you try to like, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to have the world's best pop up and, and nail, nail every little detail about a pop up and you don't start until you figure it out all the details, you'll never start. Yeah. You so I like a, a memory that I just thought of was. Um, we like didn't have any recipes dialed in. So I think for like the first one at the, at the friend's backyard, like we went and bought like, all right, we got to go buy like cabbage and we got to go buy like noodles, macaroni noodles. And we're buying like beans and we got to figure out how we make this like our own. And we're just like sitting in his kitchen, like figuring out and like messing with like recipes a little bit. Tasting it as you go. Yeah. and, And like my cousin, you know, he's, he takes credit for, um, like our ginger sesame slaw that he he came up with the idea like when we we're you know 2012 and he still like takes credit for it um and then like you know we came up with the mac and cheese like the mac and cheese that we eat do now it's nothing like it was before but it's like roasted garlic mac and cheese is like what we call it and like we kind of came up with that idea like right right off the get we just like tweaked the recipe a million times this wasn't any cousin though this is a cousin that has some restaurant experience uh, a little bit. Yeah. He was like, well, yeah, yeah, a little bit. He worked at the same restaurant that I did when he was, he was working back a house. I was working front of half. Okay. Um, so, um, okay. So you're, you're, you're doing these pop-ups. You have basically a backyard pop-up. you were, you had one pop-up at the midnight, midnight yacht club, which is one of the spots that mid city. Yeah. Mid city. Sorry. Mid city, um, yacht club, which we almost went there the other night, which I'm, now I'm really curious to see what it's all yeah. about. I want to check it out now. Um, and then you got this deal at grits. Um, what was the deal he he negotiated with you? Uh, it was. So I don't think there was much negotiation. It was like this is what it is. Yeah, um, yeah. It was. You're like, we'll take it. Yeah, and we were like, we we're just so excited about the opportunity. Yeah. Um, it was like I think it was thirty percent off the top. I think uh, Phil said twenty percent. It may have been twenty. I thought it was thirty. It may have been twenty, and then they he went up to 10%. thirty. Yeah, I, th- I I thought it was thirty, but I could be wrong. He might be right. So all the money that came in gross, you got thirty percent off the top. Yeah. So like all the transactions would run through the bar. The reason that they were doing it this way instead of running out the kitchen was like the zoning was all weird, and you couldn't have like two LLCs under one roof, and um, so like everything ran through the bar. Got it. Um, how how long were you doing pop up secrets? We were there for a year. So it was, I, like, it was a pop-up for... It was a year-long pop-up. Yeah, basically. so it was Blue Oak at Grits is what we called it. Okay. And um, how did you guys evolve during this time? Like, What, what was the evolution for you? Um, you know, it was so hard. I, mean, I feel like there wasn't that much... It was just trying to survive and not try to beat your head against the wall mm-hmm. during that time. I don't know if there was that much evolution. I think our relationship evolved a little bit because that first year was incredibly hard talking about Phil and your relationship yeah like Phil and I's relationship was was challenged during that first year more so than any other year I would say so get into it what were the hardest times um I mean just the you know we would we were open my memory is like kind of back and forth but we were, we were open I think six or seven days a week Sunday I think we were closed but they were open for like Saints games because like the the owner's family went there 
on Sundays to watch Saints games. And so we decided to do that, which was, it was what it was. Um, but so we were like six days a week and you'd, you'd open days, you'd open like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and there maybe one person would order food. Yeah. So get in there, set up like me's and plus like, get everything ready and then like no one comes and that's pretty disheartening. Yeah. I think the way Phil described it was like it was a night spot. So it wouldn't get busy until midnight. Right. When only like two days a week. Yeah. Like it was only busy like Friday, Saturday night from like midnight to like four. And then you'd break down, clean up, go home or go to the bar at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. New Orleans is a crazy freaking city. Dude. It is very crazy. <laughs> yeah. You, if you want to drink, you can find somewhere to drink at any hour of the day. What kind of characters are you running into at four o'clock in the morning? Oh, I mean, you know, there's like, there's, there's, it's basically like a slumber party at the bar when they're closing. There's just like people like sleeping on like a bench or like, just like hunched over on the corner in the corner. It's, it's a, it's a gnarly sight. I can imagine, man. Yeah. Um, Getting into the, you were saying that the, this this time really kind of uh, tried or it was challenging for your relationship with Phil. What, what, how bad did it get? Um, you know, I, I I would describe it this way. Like at one point, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever be friends with this dude again. What like, did he do? How bad? Like, was it? Well, I, it was just like it was just trying. Like it was just there was there wasn't much joy because we weren't making money. It was just like miserable. Yeah. And like we we weren't doing ourselves any favors by drinking there a lot, mm. and like all of our friends would go there on the weekends. So it was, how did that hurt? What you were trying to do, drinking? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it just it was a distraction. Mm-hmm. But um, if we weren't having fun, we may have were you drinking for free, or is that the reason why you were making two fifty? Well, I think hour. the only way we were drinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the only way we were drinking for free is if friends were buying us drinks. We okay. we paid for every drink there, <laughs> and I, I don't think we got any sort of discount. We may have, I don't know, but you know there was a lot of that. And how'd you get through it? We just, I think we were just dumb young kids, and we we're just like, let's keep going. We yeah. we're like maybe just Ignorance dumb enough to just bliss, keep right? it going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was a tough year. So uh, why leave grits? What happened? So there was like this, there was a combination of things. Like basically the bar was getting less busy and the owner of the bar was blaming us for people eating too much of our food and then going home. So he basically wanted to like, I think it was, he tried to, he doubled his take. He went up to like 40%. Okay. It's like, I'm going to take 40% off the top. Something like that. Maybe it was 30. I don't remember one of those high numbers one of those like Uber eats numbers. And, uh, and we were just like, we can't do this. Like we're not making money anyway. And you want to, you want to like make it even worse. So there's, there was so much meat in stomachs and not a drinks and stomachs. Right. Was his. Which doesn't really, you know, usually eat to keep going. So yeah. I don't know if that ideology kind of works or, yeah. Um, so what was the plan after that? Um, so luckily we had a, one of our close friends, uh, Chelsea, her mom, operated a bar in mid city called Chicky Wawa, which mm-hmm. is like a music venue. So it's like a bar with like, with, uh, who's Chelsea live acts. Chelsea, um, Hathaway. She's like one of our best friends. Okay. I don't know if Phil had mentioned her or not, but he, he, I, he may have, he said yeah. it was a friend that had an opportunity, but I don't know if you mentioned the name. Right. So his, uh, her mom was involved in Chicky Wawa and they were kind of in between, like they had a little same situation with a pop-up in the bar. And they were kind of coming to the end of that relationship and they approached us about moving in there. We did like a pop-up or two there 
And then we decided to shift over, which was like a incredible blessing. That was really like what helped us kind of. So you did a pop up or two just as like a trial run to like right. see how it goes. Yeah, like we we had like friends come over. We did like a pig roast, like watched like a Saints game, and it was like great. And, and what was what, how did you guys negotiate the terms there? Did you learn so anything from this first time around? We didn't. Well, the the bar owner, so it was Dale Trigero and Dixie Rubin, and they said come in rent free and just operate and these are the owners of chikiwawa right and what what, that's a a good deal it sounds like it's an incredible deal deal. yeah and like we got to run our own pos like we you know we could we didn't have to really i mean the only we just had to follow like their hours basically was like the only thing we had to worry about it was great uh incredibly fortunate for that what was it well for them what was the rationale to be able to to let you come in rent free well i think they're you know uh, I think it's kind of nuts that they did that. Honestly, I just think they're incredibly generous and they just wanted something to work. Um, and I think they, they had the food, they believed in the food and I think they believed in us and, and you know, it was, it was awesome. It was, yeah. I, I don't know who else would do that. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, knowing what you know now about pop-ups, I mean, you, you did pop-ups for almost four years, right? Mm-hmm. Before getting into your own brick and mortar. Um, do you still follow that industry? Do you do you have thoughts about pop-ups, best practices that you can... Because like I said, I do think that this is the most... I would do a pop-up over a food truck or anything like that. Like, just get your brand out there and start mm-hmm. putting food in mouths, start getting followers, start collecting emails, start building your social media platforms, uh, and just get out there and start having fun and cooking and slinging food. Uh, but there there isn't much advice out there about how to structure it in a way that... It, creates win-win situations mm-hmm. like what's nor- like what do you what have you heard about the right way to structure a pop-up agreement i guess well a lot of people a lot of i think a, a good structure is come and do the food don't you don't necessarily have to pay anything and then we just collect beverage and okay. you just you just set up and sell food okay. which i think is pretty typical yeah so you get the food sales we get the drink sales right and i think it's weird because that's very typical for like the South, but up North because there isn't as much access to the outdoors and there, I think there's like fewer bars that are set up like that. I think if, what, what about if you actually have to be inside in the physical space? Um, well, I guess it depends. Like if you're like a resident, like yeah. we were, maybe you'd have to come to some understanding, like a rent, you yeah. know, like a reasonable rent. And I don't know how you'd quantify it, like based yeah. by the, you know, a couple hundred square feet that you're using because it's, you're kind of help, you're helping each other. Like well, you're capturing people that are at the bar and then you're also getting people to come to the bar to come eat the food. And there's different types of pops up, pop-ups too. There's also, there's like when you're in business or you're during, you're using the same operating hours and you're just sub, you're supplementing the offering, right? We do right. drinks, you do food, but then there's the pop-up where you come here when we're closed during off hours, mm-hmm. right? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. So, I don't. I don't see that that often. When when Phil and I we, we started Blue Oak, um, we would do seven days a week on on our brick and mortar now. But we used to do six days, and on Mondays we would kind of host pop ups like periodically. Okay, cool. Um, and then in that scenario, we just collected beverage, and they just came and set up. Do you think you grew at all professionally during your time at Chikiwawa? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, how did you grow? We just we started making money. Yeah. So would you go, go to like two fifteen an hour to like what like five five an hour? <laughs> yeah, we could you know we could treat ourselves to McDonald's once a quarter. <laughs> no, but seriously, how how much of an improvement? Uh, um, you know, I mean, we went through like so. I mean, sales that we did at Grits, we'd probably do two thousand bucks a week, maybe. Okay. 
So probably less this, than that. Is this profit that you're uh, making primarily contributed to what? Is it not sharing, not having to pay twenty or not? What was it, twenty percent? No, it was just it was just business. Like we were just they had, well they had like much more consistent business. Like they had shows almost every night, so people were just coming there. That's true because yeah, so it was a volume thing. Yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was just a volume thing, and okay. like and people were eating, enjoying the food. They weren't like needed to eat French fries with cheese on it to keep going. They were eating to like actually enjoy a meal. So yeah. like the ticket average was higher, and people were just appreciating the food more. So. um how did once you started making money? How did you start doing things differently? Um, well, we started hiring people. We were able to hire people. Our, one of our first employees, well, not even employees, a friend of ours, Chef Burns, the original chef in our eyes. Um, he we would pay him in chicken wings like a grits. Wow! Like we'd want to go to a Saints game. We'd give him like he'd work like four hours. We'd give him like sixteen wings. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was what do you think the biggest growth was for you during this time at Chicky Wawa? You're there for almost a year, right? No, we were there for like two and a half oh, two, years. That's right, two yeah. and a half years. It was Grits that was a year, I think. Right, Grits yeah. was about a, uh, just about a year. Uh, so when you, when did you know your time to say, hey, Chikiwawa, this was great. We appreciate everything you've done for us. We need to move on. How did you know you were ready? Uh, so we just started, it, we were getting to a point to where we were kind of, it, the bar was, it was getting confusing whether it was Blue Oak or Chikiwawa. Like mm. if people were coming to to Chikiwawa to come to Blue Oak or vice versa to Chikiwawa to see the music. Yeah. So it kind of, it became this kind of struggle because you, in order to get in the door, you had to pay a cover. Uh huh. So, you know, it, it became this like thing of like, people, people like, just, I don't care about the music. Yeah. I just, I just want to get, get like food. Yeah. So that became like an issue and, and we were getting bigger. So we were like, we're ready to go. We started saving money. Was it an issue more for you or for Chikiwawa? I would say it was more for Chikiwawa. Yeah. Um, you know, because, I mean, it is a music venue, and they do yeah. collect cover, yeah. and people, a lot of people there were not there for the food. So, well, I can see from your perspective, too, you're like, maybe people are like, I really want Blue Smoke, but I don't... Blue Oak. I just... Wow. So the reason why this is, is because there's a Blue Smoke in New York. Yes. And they're on my radar. And we're big and, fans. And we are big fans. <laughs> I keep on spitting that out. I apologize. No, you're good. Thank you for correcting me. If I say that again, please do correct me. Uh, so... Mm. I'm at, for 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 Blue Oak. I can see that being an issue too. Because what does it cost? Like if I want to, like what was your, your number one seller? Uh, probably like wings or ribs or briskets. And how like much that. would you charge for that? For like, uh, at the time, like food cost wasn't what it is now. So like you know, order of wings might be like nine bucks or okay. ten bucks, and then they would have to pay a cover. So then the wings turn from like nine bucks to twenty bucks. Exactly. If you want some good barbecue, are you willing to pay a cover to go get it? That's that's a good question to ask. Yeah, but so I mean, it was a great space. Like it was a great venue, but like it was such a small room that, and a lot of the acts were like more quiet. It wasn't like this like rock and roll bands all the time. It was mm-hmm. like like singer songwriter stuff mm-hmm. often. So it was like quiet. So if people were there like to have a good time. They'd be like talking, and then other people would be like. Shh, like be quiet there's music playing yeah which, ha- which was the thing that yeah happened a i lot. can imagine i could imagine so i think you know it's good because like it's a good place to start it's a good place to, to develop awareness and to cut your teeth and to grow and to work on your systems and to refine your recipes right and to kind of hone those things in and, and, and that's what that time should be used for right but it, it, there is a timeline on it I think that you can only do that for so long before you have to kind of get out and, and, and you know, right. spread your own wings. Yeah. I mean, that was the biggest, like reflecting on the whole process, like being able to figure things out with not much risk in the beginning was such so valuable. And how was your relationship with Phil now? 
during the summer? Uh, it was good. You know, we're, we're like, it was because we weren't overworking ourselves too. So it was like the drinking, the overworking, no money coming in. Like that just created this like bad environment. Yeah. Um, were you guys starting to develop lanes at this point? Um, I think so. What yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like we were both, I mean, at, we were just kind of keeping our heads above water for a bit, but there it was like, I would focus more on the food and he would kind of do other stuff like admin stuff and more operation. So like, you know, it kind of started. So now it's like, Phil's like kind of more operational and more like culinary. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like, it started to show its head. I what would makes, say what makes Phil a good partner. Uh, I think Phil, like his strengths are my weaknesses. What are his strengths? Uh, he's incredibly organized. Um, yeah, he's, I, saw, I saw his folder, his little notebook. Right? Yeah, he's got great attention to detail. <laughs> he's thoughtful. He like takes time to make decisions. I'm like more of like a make sh- like instant decisions without really thinking about stuff, which is a, a huge you know issue with me. I'd say. Yeah. Um. So you know, I, it's it's we have a good pairing, and we're and we've been great friends since we were little. So it just it just works out. And if he was sitting here and I asked him that same question, what would he say about you? You know, I think he's, um, you know, it's like, like my passion for food and, and getting it right and, and, um, kind of not settling for this dish if it's not right. And like, kind of, you know, definitely more like culinary side, I would say. And I would, I would add this on just from talking to you and and correct me if I'm making assumptions, but it kind of feels like you're the risk taker. You're the one that's going to go, you're the one that pushes and charges ahead and says, let's go do this. Uh, I wouldn't say that maybe, I mean. I mean, you call them up to, you know, go up the veil. Right. You brought them, like, like, I, I feel know. like as I'm, as we're getting older, it might be opposite. I don't know. Okay. Like, I think, I don't know. I, I, it depends on what's, I guess it depends on like the scenario. Cause if we're really passionate about something, we'll be more like aggressive. But I've seen that as being a trend in the people I've spoke to. Their partners, one, one person is the one that just charges ahead. And then they're the person that's usually more organized and thoughtful and attention to details. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Yes. Let's go. But did you think of this? Right. Well, that's that's exactly what that is. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah. but he's but he's also aggressive too. Yeah. So I wouldn't say like he's like risk averse. I yeah. think he's just more thoughtful. Like okay. I might just be like more like gunslinging. Like so, if you're listening to this, try to, try to figure out which lane you belong in and try to find somebody who compliments. You. Right. You might be. You might need to be held back. And it's just like lucky, you know. It's yeah. just it's just the way it worked out, and yeah. you know we're, we're incredibly blessed. So you looked at a couple. Other, you, lo- you looked at a couple spots. You didn't get the first couple spots you wanted. We looked well, at a lot of spots. Yeah. Um, take us through that. That, that um, it was difficult. So obviously, like we needed like a very easy point of entry. Like we couldn't be. We didn't have money to be buying like a, a building that required a build out. Really, we yeah. needed something that was pretty turnkey, um, which was an issue because there wasn't a ton. Like during this time, you know, the economy was pretty booming down here. Um, there was like a big movie scene at that time, like they called New Orleans, like Hollywood South at the, mm-hmm. during that time for the mid 2010s, probably those first five years, five, six years. And so it was hard to find stuff cause it, New Orleans was just like kind of booming. So finding anything turnkey was extremely cha- challenging. So we just kind of had to be patient. And every time something came up, we're like, let's do it, let's do it. Yeah. And then we'd, it wouldn't work out because we were unproven. Yeah. Or People didn't want to take yeah. a risk and yeah. It just, you know, 
Nobody wanted to. But give these it a are chance. all real challenges people need to be aware of. It right. takes time to, and just a little bit of luck to finally get into that. Right it's like space. a chicken and egg thing. It's like, you, well, you don't have any credit, but it's like, well, I can't get a credit card to start credit. It's like, well, yeah, it's because you don't have credit. Well, it's like, well, how do I like start this process? I don't know. <laughs> right. It's like, where do I begin? Yeah. Um, so you know, it, it we we just needed someone to take a chance on you just us. Just keep showing up, you know, and persistence and patience. Right. Uh, that's how you do it. Uh, okay, that's a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to kind of talk about how the, the space for uh, Blue Oak became available and what what happened thereafter. Yep. This episode is brought to you by DiagioBarAcademy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all Levels And this February 2022 is Diageo Bar Academy's 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. And over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. During this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy-to-access resources to help you learn new skills or stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Speaking of trends, make sure you head over to DiageoBarAcademy.com to check out the top trends for 2022 and beyond. Inspiration for seasonal recipes and low slash no ABV serves, which is pretty popular right now. Thousands of recipes for all styles of cocktails, e-learning and masterclasses available on demand in weekly newsletters so you are always in the know. Diageo Bar Academy provides everything you need to improve your career in the industry, diverse content featuring experts from around the globe, member-only exclusive content and events, in ABV calculators, large format cocktails, and profit calculators to boot. There's so many tools for you. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you'll be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. We're back. And, uh... So, how did the current spot for Blue Oak come onto your radar? Um, so we had a uh, we had a, a good a customer of ours, uh, Casey Burka. I've been name dropping a lot. Yeah, drop uh, these names. We love tagging yeah. people. So, so uh, Casey Burka and Ben Jacobson. They have like a they're like, have like a realty firm here. Um, so he used to come to Blue Oak at Chicky Wawa, and he liked the food. And you know, we told him that we're interested in stuff like getting the ball rolling. So he. Um, introduced us to the current location which is at um 900 north carrollton at that point it was like a mediterranean restaurant called fellini's okay and uh the the current tenant and landlord fellini's they also own the building they were getting out of the business they were kind of done with it and so we approached them about leasing from them and like oh we don't really want to do barbecue like barbecue i think they said they tried it before or whatever and it just doesn't work and um they were like, okay, well, that kind of sucks. And then, but then they were like, all right, we're going to sell the building. And then another person came and bought the building. And they were like, let's do it. 
y'all can y'all can rent from me. So, what, how did you convince them? Um, you know, we had to sit down. Yeah. We had to we had to go to his office. You know, we were two young guys. We we're at that point. We we're twenty seven, twenty eight. Um, we just kind of gave like we just you know got really excited and went over there and very nervous and sat in this big office and he's on the other side of this big desk and we just kind of had to how'd pitch ourselves. How did you get the meeting? Because uh, our realtors that set it up. Okay. They were, they were, there wasn't an email or a note associated with this? No, I think the realtor had just set it all up and then oh. we just went there and talked to him. Like you just should. sat at his desk and basically pitched ourselves. Okay, so how did you pitch yourself? How did we pitch ourselves? I mean, we just, you know, we were just talked about what we do and how passionate we are and we have a following and we need an opportunity at a, at a, a restaurant. We're ready and we've been doing it for a long time. What was it about the way you pitched yourself that you think won these, these people over? Uh, yeah, I think we we're, I think we were really confident. I think we believed in what we were doing. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we didn't hesitate. We were, we just said that we know what we're doing and we're ready and we've been, we've been figuring this thing out for four plus years and we're ready to, to go. If you're willing to show up for four years, making barely anything for most of that time and able to persist and persist and persist and, and grow like that, that's a good horse to bet on. You know, it's only going to get better, right? Yeah. Uh, what was it about the space that was right for you? I mean, the location is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's in mid city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right on the streetcar line. It's got this great kind of corner presence. It's got like outdoor space. It basically had a turnkey kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was like perfect. What was, made the key turnkey? What, 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 what made the kitchen turnkey? I mean, they had you know they had grease trap. They had a hood. Um, you know they had all the the big ticket items. Yeah, yeah, right. All the all the big items that we could avoid. And I feel like with barbecue, most most of your your cooking is probably done outside, right? Uh, yeah. So what we were going to, what we did was we cut out a hole in the wall and, and put a smoker and we've actually added more smokers outside since, but we had, we, they didn't have any smokers or anything. That was kind of like a, we just put it in the wall. Most of your other cooking aside from the smoking is like cold prep, like salads and like, correct me if I'm wrong. But this uh, is so experience. we have like hot sides, like okay. Brussels sprouts is like our most popular item, meat okay. or not, I would say. Okay. Um, but yeah, like it was, it was ready to go. I mean, it, it, pretty much had all everything we needed i mean yeah barbecue is one of the more affordable uh lower overhead items because if you're cooking outside there's a lot less regulation involved yeah we didn't start that way we well we kind of did we but we you know we we cut we had to buy the smoker we put in the wall it was kind of like this aesthetic thing we were going for did you have to get a loan to do all this uh we did uh i think we had a line of credit okay but most banks would did said they couldn't give us a loan do you, was there a number of credit or uh, did you know how much credit you had and how much you had to spend to get it to that point where you're, you I think, open? I think we maybe had a $50,000 line of credit, something okay. like that. And I'm drawing a blank. I think Phil may have already answered this, but I think he said 120,000, the credit line. I thought, I thought that's what I heard. That uh, may have been right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and how much of that did you use to get open? See, that's, that's his operational See, side answering these the questions. The lanes are starting to form right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> So reflecting back at this time, knowing what you know now, would you have done anything different? Would you, would you give yourself the past version of yourself any advice? Uh, when we opened, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think we did a great, I, I kind of applaud. I would say I would like tap myself on the shoulder for keeping it going for so long. You know, I mean, I, I just felt like it was dumb luck that we, and like just being kind of ignorant to the 
situation they were in to just keep on pushing forward. I think this is exactly what they mean when they say ignorance is bliss. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, if you had known in 2012 that you would have of what was ahead of you and that you wouldn't be able to get your restaurant ready and going until 2016, making 215 an hour for a good chunk of that, would you have done it? No. Exactly. No. Bliss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, what were the challenges in the early days? So reflecting back, what, were, what was really hard for you? Like, I mean, just just transitioning to the the volume. Like, we went from serving maybe fifty people a day on a busy day to serving like five hundred. Yeah. Like overnight, basically. Yeah. How did you handle that? How did you? Adapt? I mean, it was it was like the first six months we were open. I think we were working from like seven a.m. to midnight every day. Wow. For six days. And then on the weekdays, and on like the one day we were closed, we were prepping. So just like we had never had a dishwasher, like, oh shit, we need a dishwasher, like yeah. badly. Yeah. We would like go through this lunch service and then you go to the dish pit and it was like mountain dish, like, yeah, <laughs> a, incredible, like Mount Everest of mountain. Be like, all right, well, I guess I'll be back here for three hours. Right. Y'all like figure out us uh, getting set up for that's, dinner. That's the difference between five hours of sleep and eight hours of sleep. Right. right exactly. <laughs> it, it was just, it was just nuts. Like transitioning to that. And, uh, it was just, it was wild. It was crazy. Just like long hours. And it was exciting. Cause like we were seeing numbers that we had never seen before. And, um, it was just, it was crazy. Yeah. So when you first opened in the blue Oak location that it is say the actual brick and mortar, who was there? How many people were involved? Uh, we had our chef was there. Um, it was like Phil and I, we had some of our cooks that had come over from Chicky Wawa. We had like a handful of those guys. I think it was like five or six or so. So you say your chef, were you no longer the person that was in charge of the meat, the, the smoking? No, we, we, it was like, we were like, it was basically in tandem, but okay. he was like, you know, we, we, our culinary expertise is pretty limited in terms of like technique. Um, so we kind of needed somebody to be like a little more robust to help us with like specials and stuff like that. Cause we know how to cook barbecue, but like kind of getting more refined and getting some more like kind of unique items going was important to us. So what were the, so what to, to handle the, the, the volume, the increase in volume, you hired more. Uh, what else did you do? Um, we had to structure things. We had to figure out like, you know, when people should come in, how long they should stay you know, hire the right amount of people, which we just mentioned, just trying to, it was just like a day by day. Like, how do we get a little bit better? Yeah. Like systems, working out systems. Cause the line was new. So how do we like get everything from like the fryer to the plate or from the smoker to the plate? Just trying like, just figuring things out, just trial and error. And is there anything you did wrong looking back and being like, wow, we really fucked up that. Um, I remember like, it, this is like something small, but I just, remember it. it was like we started out with like little boats and when you're filling up sides of like beans and these little boats are like super flimsy and they're falling around oh. everywhere so like fall like figuring that out um took a little bit so it's a lesson there don't kind of skimp on uh, i guess user experience like it might be delicious beans but like it's better in your mouth not in your pants right yeah, <laughs> yeah i would say that i would also like I was like pretty stressed and strained at that point. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I was, I was quick to like kind of get upset and I've kind of like gotten away from that still a little bit. What changed inside of you? What's what's, what's the inner dialogue now? I think just like come to the reality that that doesn't really work anymore. What happens when you do that? You know, it, it, it's, it's never, it's usually never something positive. 
Um, something you know. bad happened. You respond with doing something bad. Two bads don't make right. good, right? Yeah, it doesn't. It just doesn't work. It's <laughs> yeah. like in, you just. It's like positive reinforcement's the key. Yeah. So when something happens today, what's what's the the process for you? Um, usually, uh, you know, like um, you just kind of talk to somebody. You know, just talk to them. Not you, not raise you your voice to, or what anything. Or communicate when you talk to them. Just like uh, usually, it's like you know, you mention something that's positive, and then if, if there's anything that's not positive, you kind of just follow with that. I find. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't think I'm like a genius at this thing. I think no, Phil's it's... Phil's much more of a people person than I am. Yeah. And he knows I think how you're to. Pretty good. Phil knows how to like. <laughs> Phil knows how to massage more than I do. I would say. Yeah, he's tactful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is tactful. Uh, again, back to like this this idea of growth and scale, and uh, you're hiring more. You're uh, you're relying more on. I think I can't remember the the, the, the terms you use, but process. Did you say process? Maybe. Yeah. Um, what was like? What were the things that you were doing in your business that was like a step up? Like that kind of took you to the next level that made you run smoother, more profitably, more efficiently. Like what were the big changes you made going forward? I think just having enough people and like relying on, and not necessarily relying on us to, to be there all the time. It's like give other people more opportunity and then we can kind of step away and look at the bigger picture. Was it hard for you to do that to step oh, away? Oh, like absolutely. I still struggle with it. Like not being in the kitchen all the time because that's like what I'm what I like to do and it's hard. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like more like a, a behind a desk or like running errands and doing that. So How have you evolved to cope with that? What do you know to be true that helps you kind of deal with it? Um I think like sometimes things just operate better when there aren't like always eyes and nitpickiness going on. Yeah. yeah. Like kind of let people do their thing and if they make mistakes and we'll figure it out, but kind of let them grow. So you guys opened 2016, right? That location. the brick and mortar. Yeah. Yeah. 420. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, 2016. <laughs> well, you're smoking stuff. So it makes sense. Yeah. Right. So, Perfect. uh, so six years later, uh, looking back at where you were then and what you are now, what are the biggest differences? Uh, I mean, I, I think like for me professionally, I'm just much more calm mm-hmm. than like I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. It's like, it, it changed anything about your business. There's been no evolution. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's such like a, big question i'd have to like sit and think about it a little bit um i mean you know there's like nitpicky thing like we started doing takeout or not doing like we we started taking calling orders like two years ago two or three years ago because we couldn't handle it and then we started like introducing like um delivery you started taking call call in orders yeah like any orders like to go like you couldn't call in and order like a brisket sandwich you'd have to come and order it because we just we didn't have enough like firepower to to do it. So you would only focus on in-house. Right. I think that's a good lesson. I think people get in trouble. They they let their takeout and their delivery uh mess with their in-house operation. But I mean, Yeah, I mean cuz I I feel like the 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 guest that's in the building is priority number 1. Yeah, it sounds like you guys put a lot of emphasis on scaling and improving by attracting onto yourself people. So what is it about you and blue oak that lets you attract on people why why blue oak you could work in there's how many hundreds if not thousands of yeah i think there are like a couple thousand in new orleans um you know i, I think it's a it's a fun place to work yeah. i think the compensation is really fair 
Uh, I think we offer health insurance, which I think is pretty unique in our industry. Um, and I think there's room for growth. You know, we're creating opportunities where people can step up and kind of excel. How do you, how can you offer, offer health insurance? There's a lot of people that say my margins are small enough. I can't afford to pay health insurance. How have you found that? How have you figured that out? Um, we just like, we, you know, we looked at it. It's when we shook it all down, it was basically like an, a dollar an hour per person basically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if somebody works 40 hours a week, like the total bill to that, you know, like we pay for half. So it was just like a a dollar raise, which whether we could, we could figure out a way to make that work. There was like, you know, just the prices here or there just to kind of make it all shake out. Did you shop around a lot for health insurance? Yeah. Um, we just talked to a broker and you know, there's not, I don't think there was a ton of options. It was difficult to enter too, because to, to get the initial health insurance going, they needed like 70% of the staff to be on board with it, which is like a really hard point. Cause a lot of people just, you know, they, well, a lot of people probably are covered under the parents' health insurance, right? That. And then <laughs> yeah. like, people just don't want to spend money on, you know, it's kind of like a, you're paying for a what if, and people don't really like to pay for the what if. Yeah. Um, you don't need it until you need it. Yeah. So it was really, when it took us when you're 18 to 22 years old and you're like, right. Nothing can stop me, you know? Right. Right. I'm not going to spend yeah. my money on health insurance. I'm going to go out to the bar and yeah, I don't break the, get bus to the point where I need health insurance. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> um, like the point of entry for like restaurants is much more harder because it's, you know, usually the staff could be a little younger. People don't want, they, people just like to have their money and make their own decisions with it. Not necessarily put it away towards. If it's just $1 an hour per person on average to get health insurance, why do you think our industry doesn't do that? Um, I, I think one is maybe that it's just hard to get. Cause like I said, like those, those variables that people want it or not wanting it. It's just like a hard way to enter. And I just think margins are tight. And, um, I would imagine turnover has a lot to do. And we're lucky because, you know, we, we're pretty high volume restaurant and you know, we just, we do a good amount of business. So we probably have a little more flexibility than smaller, like po' boy shops or other places. So are you in the restaurant every day cooking today? No. What had to happen for you to be able to get out of the restaurant? What, What does your restaurant have today that it didn't have then other than people that lets you get out? Um, well, the, the biggest thing was phil saying you got to get out of the kitchen so we can make this puppy grow so what are you what's a life in the the life of ronnie look like today uh so wake up in the morning drop my kids off at school and then go and kind of check in with the kitchen see how things are going like run errands answer emails like do any maintenance calls like you know set that all up like just it's like there's not like a ton of structure to it when you're working on the business what are you working on um, we've been like working on new concepts, um, refining recipes. We're trying to like get more recipes, like fine tuned, um, like introduce more like software stuff to where we can kind of get ready for location number two. So when you say refine a recipe, what, re- what re- rev- revisions are you making? Like eliminating variables. Like, you know, if it's, if salt is measured by volume, maybe we should measure it by weight and maybe it's not measured by like uh, English system. It's like metric, mm-hmm. which we haven't even gotten into yet, but I think that's a way to, we've like, that's always been like a goal. Um, what, what changed in your business where you were forced to get into metrics and, and weigh things out? What changed? Yeah. I have an idea. Uh, I mean, I think the rest, like everything's gotten better. Everything's gotten more consistent. Yeah. 
Um, like we've been, we're always working on our processes too, yeah. like how we do things and like, and you kind of need to monitor and see like, Oh, you have to use this tool to create this mac and cheese, but you're using this one and it's creating this variable. And we didn't think about that before and now it works. So it's just kind of like tweaking and you know, we've been working on rest. We still work on recipes every day. Almost. I would say like trying to fine tune things. Yeah. Um, what are your strengths today? What are you, what are you doing? Um, my strengths in the business. Yeah. Yeah. Like what, what haven't we talked about as far as, uh, how to work on the business, how to grow the business, uh, the lane you belong in that has contributed to the success you're having. I think we, you know, trying to like always keep our cooks and myself like, um, evolving and trying to come up with like new creative things to introduce to our menu. That's we haven't seen before or that we can try out. Just yeah. kind of keep, keeping creativity going. Yeah. Um, because we're very like special driven at Blue Oak. Uh, Which so, is uncommon for barbecue. Yeah. So it's like it's, it, it is unique. But I, you know, I, I look at like Leroy and Lewis and Austin. I also look at like home past, team and past guests on the show. Yeah. yeah Fox awesome. Brothers Barbecue. Like a lot of who are, we've become friends with over the years. And, and we always look at these guys like they have great barbecue, but they also have like great specials. And they, it's not only barbecue like people can come and eat a, a great salad and not have to have like a plate of ribs. Like we, you can, it can kind of suit any palate. Got it. Um, so why is it so important to stay creative and to constantly have specials? What does that do for your team? I think it, well, I, I think it's, it, it kind of gets people out of like the doldrums of like day to day, like routine, um, gets like the kind of your juices flowing, like mentally kind of thinking creatively. And I think it's just fun. And I also think like when we do specials on Instagram, we'll highlight if it's someone special in the kitchen, we'll highlight who that person is. Yeah. So people, why, why is that important? I just think like give praise when praise is due. What does that do for your people when they feel seen? I think it's like if I, I think it makes them stoked. I would be stoked if like, you know, I was, I've created this dish and then it's on social media and we have a pretty good social media presence and knowing that I'm there and like we have one, um, one of our, uh, chefs, his name's, uh, Ben Bushi and he came up with the barbecue baked potato mm. which is like you know baked potatoes are not like a crazy culinary revolution but like we you know threw brisket in there and sour cream and all this stuff and it's like a hit and we do it every Thursday and we call it like Bushi's big old baked potato so what you're describing right now on Maslow Maslow's hierarchy of needs is literally right it's the most important thing that we need second or third I guess I would say third to first we need shelter and warmth and, you know, like food, right? Second is security. Third is belonging and being seen. That's how important it is. We need to be, we're tribal. We need to be valued. We need to be, we need to feel like we're a part of it. And when you give your, your people an opportunity to be seen, to be valued, to contribute, that's so powerful. That's longevity. That's why, that's how people stick around. They belong to something. Have you seen that? Can you back that up? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's super important, um, and we started doing it like a while ago. Um, like our head chef, Chef T, T Rex, we call him. Um, you know, every time he puts a special up, we put a, like a little icon with a little chef, and we put his name, and then he like reposts it, and then people start following it. Like it just it gets notoriety because I don't think it's fair for a special to come out and be like people assume that Blue Oaks Phil and Ronnie, and it's not really us. It's we're creating the environment to create the special, but this guy's doing or this gal's doing it like whoever. 
Have you heard the expression, give credit where credit's due? Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's incredibly important. Yeah, of course. Um, so you also mentioned that you, you're working on, like, I asked you what you're doing, like, what you, what's a life of Ronnie today? And you said uh, other concepts. Why is growth important to you right now? What's driving growth? Well, I mean, growth, you know, we, we've been doing, we've been doing Blue Oak One for a while now and we're kind of just getting antsy to do something new and it also just gives opportunities for people that are kind of in the ranks bingo right after being seen and valued is personal growth and you need to know if you want people to stick around they need to know that there's something else they need they need to know there's something next for me i need to grow i need opportunity is that intentional yeah i think you know we 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 always have like battle with blue oak like just the one because we always have great people come through and we're like well you know how many chefs can you have how many sous chefs or whatever like there's only so many opportunities you can kind of create under one roof but as we expand you know like we're opening a restaurant in huntsville it's like well wow, wow, we need like a chef we need sous chefs we need a gm we need an agm we need a catering person like there's so many great positions that we that are open to anybody so like we can create these job like opportunities and we're working on like another concept too. And like, that's another thing that could do. So it's like, yeah, we're just, I mean, that's totally part of the intention is to help people grow and, and so get, make room. You, you said other concepts. Are you, are you looking to do more blue Oaks or do you want to try completely new concepts? I, I mean, you know, I think it's cool to just have like a bunch of different restaurants and, and have like a little, like a restaurant group. I think it'd be great. Yeah. Um, what's your plan for structuring that? Like your, your, your business model, your business plan. Um, that's, that's a great question. I, you know, I think we we're working so much on like systems and processes for Huntsville that once we get them all kind of figured out and dialed in that we can kind of, I think that can help really accelerate growth, whether it's barbecue or whether it's another concept or whatever, mm-hmm. like a, you know, broccoli restaurant. Um, anything a that we can, restaurant. we can take like your plans. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, that'd be sweet. <laughs> I mean, broccoli is great. For yeah. You. I, mean, I love broccoli, but I don't think it, it would goes do that good well with a lot of things. You know, just take what, like there's poutine. Oh, was it? Uh, uh, poutine restaurants. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think poutine, French fries with broccoli. cheese, cheese and fries are probably a little more approachable than the heads of broccoli. Healthy is trendy right now. You I might, you might yeah, have that, something. That's there. what I want to eat when I get home is the head of broccoli. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're just we're trying to create systems and processes where it's like you can kind of plug and play. Yeah, you know, we create these systems, and then you know, we just all right. Well, let's introduce these recipes to this system, and you know, everything will kind of shake out. So I think it'll help us kind of scale much quicker once we do all this nitty gritty stuff, which is something that's challenging. So you you mentioned too that you start leveraging technology, implementing technology to grow and scale. How's what role is technology played? Well. I would say hugely, and, and they're sponsor your show, which is this is not a paid advertisement. But um, during COVID, we have Toast, and we we put Toast into play like right when we started, mm-hmm. um, or I'm sorry, right when right before COVID started, we put a Toast into Did play. It, was it the show that made you guys aware of Toast? Uh, Where's my kickback? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure <laughs> it was. On, well, we it was like we I heard it from y'all's <laughs> from the podcast, and I also heard just other peers around town saying how great it was. And then when COVID happened, they had like just released online ordering or, um, it had been just released or it was around and we just never dealt with it cause we couldn't handle it. But like right when COVID started happening, they shut down indoor dining. We just hit like hit this button and 
then we had online ordering and it like kind of saved the business. Yeah. And now I think we're talking about the numbers. You're doing what? 30 to 40% uh, takeout now. The yeah, business? I would uh, say so. I mean, during that time it was a hundred because there was no indoor dining allowed at all. How did that affect your business? Was it, was there a negative of from takeout? There? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, I, it's just, it's, we have had an issue with volume because we have so many takeout, um, orders that come in and like a box is twice the size of a normal plate. And we only have like so big of an expo window that it just, it, it just, it's hard to manage it all. Bottleneck a little bit. Right. And online ordering, like orders just come through and come through and come through. There's no, like, we haven't figured out a way to like really kind of dial it back a little bit. So they just come through and then it just gets the kitchen kind of weeded. Yeah. But that's like a good problem. Like I'm not, you know, we we're trying to figure out how to handle it all, but yeah. Uh, what are some like of your one ideas? Downside. Uh, we're actually building, we're working on doing like a little takeout room. Okay. So ha- basically adding a second line. That's the answer. I was hoping you'd say it, but that's the answer. If, if you're doing high volume takeout, dedicate a whole nother line to it because you're going to screw up your in your in-house experience. Yeah. People are going to come to your restaurant and they're going to go, I've been here for 45 minutes and I still haven't gotten my food Yeah, and there's tables open. What's going on back there? And you it's know? like stressful for the kitchen too. Yeah. Cause you know, it, Cause on a given shift, there could be 300 tickets, three, four, five, 400 tickets, like during like a shift, like if it's really jamming and it's just like, you can only put so many plates out at once and it kind of gets everybody backed up and you know, it just kind of creates strain. So it, 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 it's going to just help so many things. You started using restaurant 365 too, right? Yeah. We just started. We're like just about to get into it, but not, not totally in yet. Okay. Like we're, we've signed up, but we're not like in it. Like we don't really know the nuts and bolts yet. Got it. Got it. Uh, anything we haven't discussed up to this point, like an area of expertise, uh, something that you think needs to be discussed that you were hoping to discuss? Hmm. No, I don't think so. I mean, I would just, I, I, I would, if you could figure out a path like we took to get to a brick and mortar, I think that's the route. Yeah. Specifically pop up slowly, yeah. let cash flow, let awareness, let people grow organically over time. What am I missing? Um, yeah. And just figure it out. Like dial in recipes, like just take, like start small and then figure out what works, what doesn't work and then slowly get bigger and bigger. And then once you're ready, you know, you're ready and you, you go up in a restaurant. Yeah. I love that. Um, so you kind of already answered the question, but for the sake of kind of keeping structure to the show, the mission statement is to inspire. You've definitely inspired us. You've empowered us. You've given us some knowledge. We feel like we're a little bit more knowledgeable now, uh, and to transform the industry. How have you transformed personally? Who are you today versus the man you were just getting started in this industry? Um, more of a father since I have kids now. Yeah. So that's big. Um, you know, I think I've, I've learned to be a little bit more patient. Um, learn to like understand where other people are coming from. Try to try to try to get more perspective. I think compassion is like really key. Um, you know, I'm drawing a blank. I was about to say something else, but, um, you know, it's just the, the restaurant is, is I feel like if I could have done it all over, I'd probably gone to like, it's like psychology, gotten like a psychology degree or something because <laughs> understanding how people work and how to inspire and, and get people motivated to work is, 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 uh, so important. Can't get over how important that is. The core of business is relationships. That's all it is, is how to manage people and relationships. Yeah. Uh, and you guys have done a great job at that. And, um, you know, the, the reason why I asked that question about, uh, how to view transform is because I believe that if you're going to 
if you're going to grow and scale as a business owner, you need to grow and scale as a person, you know, you need to improve as a person. But on that note, uh, where do you think the, the industry is right now? So one of the things I'm trying to do with Restaurant Unstoppable is to change the world by changing the restaurant industry. I think we can do it because we're, we just touch so many people in this industry. We are influencers. Young people come through our industry. We mold the future. You know What, what needs to change about the world and how, how can the restaurant industry do that? Um, you know, the, the restaurant industry has been getting so battered by all these variables, like basically driven by COVID. It's like, I, I just think at some point we're just gonna have to start charging a lot more for food, um, and then creating more opportunities for growth. I think people, you know, creating jobs that have like livable and, and fair wages is extremely important. I think benefits are important. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, you know, we offer healthcare, um, acts like mental care. Like you can get, uh, two free, um, like mental care consulting sessions a, a month for free. Um, just like creating a more equitable life for I employees. Agree. I 100% agree. If we're going to change the lifestyle for our employees, we need to get the resources. We need to give them the lifestyle they deserve, which all goes back. You know, it just goes up river to, we need to charge more for food. How are we going to convince the consumer that they need to pay more for their food? I think it's going to be challenging. I think because, you know, I don't don't think food has really changed much uh, with the times in terms of price. I mean, it has changed a lot with the times, but in the wrong direction. I could say, I could argue since like the 50s, we've industrialized the food system. And it's been about how can we get more food for less money? And we've broken the food system because of it. And that's why we half of us can't eat bread anymore without shitting our pants. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're fuck, we're fucking the system up. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't so, know even know where to begin with that. Yeah. So like it's because we're, we're focusing on the wrong things more for less and the food is taking a hit and our, and as a result of that, our health is taking a hit. So I think it's a matter of convincing people that listen, like if you want to be happier or healthier, you need to start eating real food and guess what? you have lost, you don't know the value of food anymore because we've destroyed the value of food. We have misconstrued the value of food and the consumer is convinced that a burger should cost $5. That's so fucked up. You know, a burger should cost $18, $20 because that's what it costs to raise an animal, to feed it well, you know, to, to, to humanely process it. Right. It costs money. We fuck shit up. So I think it's education. You know, but you have to put the consumers ben- like this is beneficial for you. You know, it's for you. It's not for us. It's for you. I think that's the answer. Yeah. I hope that's the answer. I think, I mean, yeah, this isn't, this isn't my time to, to what, what do you no, think? No, no. I mean, I, 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 educating is important. I think you can use the tools that social media gives you and, and, uh, kind of make people aware of like what things, maybe you could just show them like, this is what it costs. This is what. People you know, are selfish, though. I think they will, unless they know there's something in it for me, they won't take action. And people, if you show them what's in it for them, you're going to be happier and healthier. They'll yeah. start spending money. We're trying to tr- we're trying to start like leaning more towards like happier animals, is what yeah. they call. Like I guess no animals happy when they go to the slaughterhouse, but mm-hmm. um, you know animals that are raised a little uh, more humanely. Yeah. Trying to get into that. It's like exp- it's it's like basically jumping off the cliff and saying like, all right, we're going to spend 
double what we're spending now on pork butts and we're going to spend X more on ribs and we're already kind of doing that with brisket, but like, it's just like so much more. And then like, everything's got to jump way up and everything's already jumping up. And And I think the other thing that needs to happen is what's happening right now. People, we got to talk in the industry and we all have to kind of buckle arms and go together and say, this is what it costs. Cause we can't under, we can't undershoot each other anymore. We can't just try to charge a penny less than the guy down the street because over time, it just keeps going lower, lower, right. and lower. Uh, this has been a great conversation, man. Thank you so much. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a true speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using like toast to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face to face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I I personally love most about talk to the manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus with talk to the manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant service product or facility, your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve using talk to the manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use talk to the manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I would say... 
Persistence. What is your biggest weakness? Biggest weakness. Um, I probably get hyped up too easily. What Working is, on it. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Uh, I would say great attitude and good work ethic. What is one of your biggest challenges today? Um, people. How are you overcoming that challenge? Just like trying to do research and, and really, and trying to think about people from their perspective, mm. I think is key. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Um, I would say, you know, honesty, being honest. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guest. That's not common throughout the industry. Hmm. Uh, I would, you know, always have a smile on your face. I would say that. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? I mean, you already know it. You can't say Denny Myers there in the table. I know. I know you can't <laughs> say it, but like I, the only books I'm reading right now are like little, uh, cardboard books that I read to my daughter. Okay. So, you know, those I, ones go by pretty fast though. Yeah, they do. You can just blow through them. You can read like 10 or 20 in 30 minutes. No okay, problem. You can say Danny Myers in the table. I mean, it, he's just, I, I would, you know, I was thinking about it. I was, I, I love listening to, um, listening or reading Anthony Bourdain's book or, you know, um, he's actually got a new one coming out. It was, it's obviously he didn't write the new one, but it's a, a it's like a, I don't know how they put it together, but there's like a, I don't know. There's something I'm interested in. Yeah. Kim, Kitchen Confidential, I think is really cool because it just, it, it, it just gives you perspective and know that you're like, that everyone kind of has yeah. these like struggles. And, yeah. And on that vein of uh, in the, um, setting the table, what was the biggest lesson that you got from that? Book? I think hospitality. You know, I used to think of restaurants. I, I used to think that restaurants, if you had great food, it didn't matter about ambiance or service. That like if the food was great, people were going to come. But I think it's it's everything you get. You got everything's got to be dialed in. Yeah. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, I would say like appreciate their people. Mm. I mean, we you know everybody can grow in that that regard. Name one service you've hired or outsourced. So this isn't a technology. This is a gr- a person or a group of people who do something better than you could ever do. And you might as well outsource and have them do it instead of trying to do it in-house. I would say accounting. And who would you guys use for accounting? Uh, we use uh, Tim Bodier at Didactic uh, Tax Services. I'm pretty sure that's the same exact thing Phil said, which is good. Yeah. If you guys accounting, want- like I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Is he national or is he just local? He's local, okay. but maybe he wants to go national, so hit maybe him up. this will help him. Yeah. yeah hit him <laughs> up if you're in uh, southern Illinois, or in Illinois, Louisiana. Why the fuck did I say Illinois? Yeah, I don't know. Illinois is a great Where the place. Hell am I? I? I move around too yeah. much. Uh, <laughs> what is one technology you've recently adopted that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I would say online ordering for through Toast has been huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so big. Just the access, the ease of the app. Um, it's it's been great. Any technologies that are, uh, have you interested that you're really considering? Um, I mean, I, I feel like I'm like forced to get into TikTok with the restaurant. I just don't know how to, I need to start shooting videos and stuff. But that, uh, that's like, well, these guys behind you, behind us might be able to help you out yeah. with that. Um, and this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow 
all the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? I mean, I would go back to the mantra and I'd say, you know, like work hard, like do whatever you do, do it the best you can. One. Have have fun while you're doing it. Have Two. A, you know, and then um, save some time for your family. Three. This has been a lot of fun, Ronnie. Thank you so much for making time for us to share your story, Thank your you. knowledge, and your mentorship. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. Who do you respect and admire? And if you found out there are guests on the show tomorrow, you'd absolutely be listening to that. Okay, episode. I'm going to name a few. Give them to me. All right. Kevin Bain from Boca Group. Huge fan. We met with him a couple months ago. He was awesome. Uh, Neil Bodenheimer, Cure Group. Um, he's always been a mentor to us since we were very small. He's always been awesome. Always quick to like hop on a phone call real quick. Like if I shoot him a text and ask him a question, he'll return with a call Mm -hmm. and he will not, he just will take time to talk to you on the phone. And he's been doing that since we're like itty bitty to now. And he's amazing guy. Uh, just to kind of reinforce that we're sitting in his restaurant cure right now. Yeah. He's amazing. He's helping making this interview happen. He's lined up next. We're going to be talking to him. So awesome. And you know that Kevin was on the show, right? Who? Kevin Bam. Of course, that's why I, okay. that's why I learned about it. I was it was say, make from, sure you listen to that episode. No, because I've listened to it probably five times. I, okay. <laughs> an amazing guy and, and super impressive. Um, and uh, two other guys, Doug Saltis. Uh, he he has a restaurant in Chicago called a- Andrews Taverna or Andros Taverna. Forgive me, Doug, if I messed that up. And Christian Ekman. Christian Ekman is he? Yeah, in- he's with Let Us Entertain You. Okay. These are some great names. Thank you so much. Look out, guys. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And again, just thank you and Phil so much for uh, being as supportive as you've been for, to Restaurant Unstoppable. You Huge fans. Helping us connect with so many amazing people to uh, make this interview happen. Uh, you have a lot of love and respect in the city. I hope you guys know that because when I drop your names, everyone's like, yeah, we'll do this. This is awesome. We love those guys. Cool. So, That's great to hear. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. <laughs> There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed Ronnie's take on the start of Blue Oak. And um, honestly, these two dudes, Ronnie and Phil, are great. Are great. And I, I just love the approach they took of starting small just starting and developing relationships and letting opportunities come to them over time and slowly scaling and keeping your liabilities as low as possible. And really I, I, they're, they're doing great today. I mean, you guys should see the video we got of their, their location, what they've scaled to the amount of smokers and the space they've been able to grow into. And it all started from a barbecue on a trailer at a bar at night, you know, like, it takes time, and I and I hope that's what you guys understand is that if you're if you're thinking that you can just have an idea and and move into a, a big restaurant space and have the brand awareness to fill those seats every night, you're gonna overextend yourself. It's gonna be too much. Start small, grow over time develop a brand, develop relationships, grow relationships and slowly scale over time. And these guys are a perfect example of that. And then really just keeping your liabilities as low as possible. These two dudes lived with their parents well into like, I think three or four years, at least maybe five years at least before they're able to move out and to get on their own. But that's sacrifice. Like ask yourself, am I willing to do this? That's what I really loved about today's 
uh, interview in, in, in last week, both Phil and Ronnie, they, they just a great example of just starting where you can and showing up every day and sacrificing. And I think I've delivered the point. I don't need to continue anymore. Uh, thank you again to Phil and Ronnie for coming on the show. And uh, man, I just can't say thank you enough for all the hospitality you guys showed us. So uh, quiet week in Restaurant Unstoppable Network next week. I'm actually going to be headed to New York City. We have some great interviews lined up. I'll be connecting with Abhinav Kapoor from Bicky, Michael Lestoria from Ann Pizza, David Roderitz from uh, Flyfish Club, which is one of the first Bitcoin only, not Bitcoin, but uh, um, non-fungible token blockchain restaurants out there. I'm really interested in how they're structuring their business model. And we're also talking to Michael Dorf from City Winery. It's going to be a great trip. Uh, and if you guys are in New York and you want to connect, don't be shy. Reach out to me, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. All right, that's it for today. Uh, thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>